in about 10,000 years, I think. I can't remember the exact number. I wish I could. The only thing, the only like clear evidence of human activity would be like the Hoover Dam. Mm. And it would probably be covered in water. Um, and, like otherwise, like our, all the stuff that we've built over the last, you know, whatever, 20,000 years would basically have eroded away. Um, but in Wally, like it's been 700 years and they're still building standing and there's just still trash around, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, like you said, like it's because it's probably because there wasn't anything natural fighting against that. You know, there wasn't anything in place that would, um, would start counteracting the effects that we had created on the earth. And by like, rooting out every plant, um, except for one, <laughs> like we, uh, <laughs> we've basically destroyed the earth's hope of coming back, which kind of goes back to, um, like the theme of the movie and something that the captain says is, is he talks about how he has to go back, right? Mm-hmm. Like the earth needs us in this situation, which is kind of the opposite of what you normally hear, right? Like, right. like normally it's like, actually there's, there may be too many of us and maybe <laughs> like, like we need to be more careful and conscientious about how we're interacting with our environments. But in Wally, the message is we need to be active stewards. You know, it's mm-hmm. not so much just pa- like passively being and like making sure our carbon footprint is negative or neutral or whatever. It's actively working to help foster the environment that we need. Welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and in today's episode, we are covering one of my favorite movies of all time, WALL-E, and its relationship with agriculture. This is another episode in our mini-series we have going on right now, we're going over the relationship between agriculture and society, and once again, I have a special guest with me. So uh, to talk about this with me, I have Joey from Affable Chat. Joey, go ahead and introduce yourself to the crowd. Hey, how's it going? Um, uh, my name is Joey. I co-host a weekly movie podcast called affable chat uh we talk about all sorts of different topics uh i am not an expert in agriculture in any sort of way uh but i'm happy to be here and happy to discuss this movie with you it is uh one of the greats for sure i'm happy to hear it's one of your favorites yeah, definitely. Well, I'm definitely appreciative of you taking the time. I've been trying to do an, an episode on Wally, even you know, outside of the the mini series for months now. I mean, I have a friend who runs a movie podcast that refuses to talk about Wally for some reason. So I've been dying really? to get somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was very um, I was very glad to see your uh, your excitement about talking about it. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Awesome. So I think just kind of you know, best place to start is to just jump right into it. Um, so Wally is a movie that. I think most people have seen at some point in their childhood, especially if they grew up, you know, in the early 2000s. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, original Pixar movies that I feel like gets forgotten a lot, but is a very, you know, a very good movie that kind of gets overlooked um, a little more than it should, in my opinion. Definitely. Um, I believe it's one of the five original ideas that was pitched by uh, when Pixar first started. Hmm. Um, they, they were, they had, a, I can't remember which the other movies are, but they, they had an idea for five different movies, and Wally was the last one on that list. Uh, so from the very beginning, this was some, this was a dream that somebody had to uh, to make this story, um, and it is pretty unique for sure. It's one of the more unique. I mean, it's a unique movie, but it's a, one of the more ambitious Pixar movies for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I actually didn't even know that. That's really cool. You know that they 
even from the very, very beginning of, of Pixar, you know, Wally was always kind of in the back of their minds. So, I mean, I'm glad that it eventually came out. Like I said, it is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. And it's just overall, it's, you know, it's a movie that I grew up with just absolutely loving. I can't, I can't count how many times I've, I've watched that movie over and over again, just because of how, how funny it is, how charming it is, you know, just the general, you know, feel good atmosphere of the movie just as a whole. Definitely. Although it does kind of have some dark elements when you start thinking about it. <laughs> it does. Absolutely. And that's actually where we're going to, where we're going to start today. So um, just to kind of give a synopsis of the movie, Wally, you know, the premise of it is, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it is obviously um, the, the, planet earth has been abandoned you know all humans are up on this this massive ship called the um the oh, i just axiom been, axiom thank you i literally i had it and it slipped out of my mind last second <laughs> um but yeah they're all on the axiom it's basically like this giant like like cruise ship kind of looking thing and it's, you know it's just like a vacation getaway for for the humans that are left and all of earth has been left to be cleaned up by the wally robots which there's only one left and that's our main character wally um and Earth, from what we can tell, is basically just like this desolate wasteland. It's been completely polluted to death. There's no, you know, there's no um, uh, environment left. You know, it's entirely just, you know, destroyed. And we're, we're led to believe, you know, from from some of the earliest transmissions in the movie, that the reason that that happened is because Earth got too polluted. That you know, we didn't pay enough attention to the environment, and we allowed, you know, stores and and you know and buildings to basically overtake earth and that kind of you know destroyed the our, our ability to live there and so you know they moved up into the axiom let the wallies kind of clean up the planet and then we were supposed to return but obviously that didn't happen you know because they they assumed it wasn't going to be suitable enough in in enough time so they basically started looking for a different planet to inhabit and you know hijinks ensue as as with any movie <laughs> Hijinks ensue, of course. <laughs> so, you know, just just jumping straight into it, you know, from not, not even going into the ag stuff just yet. Um, what was your I don't know if, if you've watched it recently or just kind of going off of memory like I am. But what was your initial reaction to Wally as a movie? Kind of everything with the with the premise. Well, I actually just rewatched it last night, so Perfect. I would be extra prepared. <laughs> uh, it has been it has been a few years since I've seen it. Um, I mean, it, like I said, it's very unique. It doesn't the stars aren't humans or even like anthropomorphic animals. Mm-hmm. Um, it has very little dialogue, um, and its like main message is super direct. And it's it becomes even more relevant every single day. I think uh, about you know taking care of the earth. It's it's hits you over the head pretty uh, pretty hard with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's probably one of the Pixar's most ambitious movies, um, and it really pays off that like putting all of their eggs into this kind of more creative outlet. Um, the story itself is really simple. It's just get the thing to the thing. But um, it's all of that history and world building that really makes the movie interesting. And the more I saw of the Axiom and the more I learned about humanity's recent history, the more I become engrossed in the story of Wally. Um, and of course, the more horrified I became as, as well. <laughs> is this really our future? Is that we'll be stuck like uh, in chairs forever? Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean that's the th- the thing that really sells this movie for me is the character of Wally, because um, he really captures your attention right away. First of all, he's extremely cute, mm-hmm. um, but it's his curiosity that serves the story so well. It's because he's curious that he's like uh, he outlasts all of the other Wallies on on Earth. Uh, it's because he's curious that he found the f- the plant in the fridge, and that's why he saved it. You know, he was a he was a collector. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he wasn't doing that then this movie wouldn't have happened of course uh he's also um very curious uh throughout the rest of the movie and that's why he uh he saves the day over and over and over again Mm. but you know he's not just a vehicle to help uh 
build the plot, right, to, to move you from event to event. He's actively driving the narrative forward, um, and he's displaying a consistent and relatable and noble traits um, that make him, even though he doesn't look like a person, very anthropomorphic. Mm -hmm. um, and while he's limited vocabulary and his expressions carry just like there's so much emotional weight, um, and maybe that's because you're projecting more onto him, but I, I can't like – uh, thinking back of other movies I've seen recently, like he's carrying more of that emotional weight and doing more characterization than like a lot of human actors uh, in in like more traditional action movies and stuff. Um, he's got a uh, he's doing a lot of work um, with the story um, and in bringing you forward so well that you you can't help become engrossed in the story. Um, so yeah, I I think that's really the thing that sells it more than anything else. But the background elements, of course, are what make this movie interesting. It's what sticks with my mind so much. Um, I'm sure the same is for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with you every step of the way along there. Um, I think that Wally as a character is, is definitely, you know, the driving force of this entire movie. I mean, it's it's one of those movies that, you know, you, you have to appreciate because the, the plot wouldn't happen without Wally. You know, he he's the reason that everything in the movie happens the way it does. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's a huge part of storytelling. You know, if you have a story that would have happened anyway and your main character is pointless, then that's not a fun main character. You know, Right. Well, there's there's, you know, there's certain stories that work with that where they're like okay this person's kind of a blank slate and now you're being introduced to this world and you're you know the main character is an audience insert and it's not it's never as interesting but um sometimes like getting the character kind of out of the way can really bring you into an interesting world mm -hmm. but it's more like a video game than it is like a movie mm -hmm. um and, and this movie doesn't do that at all i think uh, wally is very distinct um and you know watching it closely you get the sense of what kind of robot he is mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i mean i think wally serves i mean even the humans in the movie have the same reaction that we do to wally you know he he's very distracting from from what we consider reality you know definitely he's you know he's kind of a funny little guy you know like you said he's, he's very cute he reminds me a lot of stitch in some ways you know in the way that he's like kind of a weird you know out little outcast that's it's not quite what we consider normal, but he doesn't talk a whole lot. Just kind of his expressions and general inner, you know, behavior in the world is what makes him distinct and a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, that's a good comparison, I think. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Wally serves such an important role in, in this movie, obviously, because, you know, the movie's named after him, but he ironically enough humanizes the humans, you know. He he's the last surviving memory of Earth, pretty much, you know. And you know, you see, you watch him. You know, watch the old movies about you know the the times before all the humans left. He collects all the human yeah. artifacts, all that kind of stuff. You know, he is a living embodiment of of what humankind remains on Earth. I mean, he basically is he's culture. You know, he he's what's left. That's um, true. And he he finds you know the plant like you mentioned. You know, and and that to him is just like a, oh it's another cool thing that I found. I haven't seen one of these before. But when he exposes it to the other humans, they're like oh there's a chance that we could come back, you know, like his, his, you know, naive curiosity being the thing that saves the entire human race is just like, I think it's just kind of a funny, you know, it's a funny turn of events. Cause like you mentioned in the beginning, you know, it's a very simplistic plot, you know, get the plant to this place, get this, you know, get, and then get it back to earth with all the people that way you can restart civilization. You know, it's, it's point A, point B, point C kind of, kind of plot, which makes a lot of sense, but the amount of of context that that is needed for it to be a good story that Wally gives it is is so you know it's it's unbelievable and I think like you mentioned you know all the details in the movie are what make it really worth watching. 
Definitely. I think what you just said about how Wally humanizes the humans is such a good point. Um, There is the main plot where he's bringing the plant to them and then kind of giving them that extra bit of hope, right? Mm -hmm. But throughout the story, when he's messing with Mary and John, uh, with you know turning off their video screens, Mm -hmm. uh, when he's running into people or or meeting the misfit robots, he's having this incredible influence over them. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one of the robots starts seeing the song that he has recorded. Uh, like through their beeps and boops, mm. um, it, he just he like like you said he he is he's culture kind of embodied. He has this effect on people to bring them, shake them from their current reality, and make them realize there's more to life, um, and that's beautiful, uh, absolutely. And it is ironic that it has to come from a robot, um, but it makes sense that it comes from a robot that isn't working the way other robots are. You know, mm-hmm. he isn't like any of the other ones. He isn't so concerned with his directive that he only does that, right? He um, he takes time for the little things and for collecting and watching movies and stuff. You know, he has off time. Um, and that makes him weird, but it also means that he survived better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just like like we, what you just said, you know, the fact that he does survive and he seems to be so different than all the robots who just follow orders almost says something about the you know the the character that that he is you know he being this this last little ball of personality that that we see in the movie until you know he starts exposing others to it it almost proves that you know you can't just follow you know what you know you can't just follow the status quo and and continue you know life naturally you have to have a little bit of personality to be able to survive in, in the world and i think that wally you know as a like as the embodiment of culture like we've been saying does that really really well Definitely. I think it's really interesting the way that culture has been flattened mm-hmm. in this story. You know, something that really bothered me, every time I think about this movie, something that bothers me is how the humans are such a monolith, mm-hmm. where every human is exactly the same as every other one, right? You could pick out any of them. They're all, they're all identical, essentially. Right. Um, but, like, I, I can, I'm trying to think, like, if I was on that ship or if, you know, if this was a more adult version of the ship, there would be like factions, you know, there'd be one group that's really into exercise and like rails against the technology <laughs> or something. I don't know. I'm thinking something closer to like the expanse where there's like, uh, you know, complex political structures or something. Mm-hmm. But even the way that Wally shows human society um, in this movie or, or, or on the ship has this root of truth to it. While the earth is burning behind us, you know, out of sight, out of mind, uh, we sit in our chairs and waste our uh, lives away in front of our hollow screens. Um, it's the constant feedback, the endless entertainment, the illusion of choice, the isolation. Those are just exaggerations of our current lives. Um, you know, imagine an entertainment apparatus so complete that no one ever feels the need to rebel, mm-hmm. that everyone just spends all day in their chairs, quiet and docile. Nobody questions how long it's been since the crew started. No one is working. No mm-hmm. one is even enjoying the, the windows. <laughs> like to paraphrase what the uh, what the captain says, the people are surviving, uh, but they're not living. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, just think about what that's saying, right? Like that we could create a world that is so comfortable where mm-hmm. every need is met constantly, and that we could be completely we could completely automate that world, and that it wouldn't push us to new heights. We would just become trapped. Mm-hmm. Like is hardship is it with the implication here that hardship and trauma necessary for us to progress, or you know maybe there's a more sinister question of like maybe that's all it would take is creating an environment so comfortable that we would just let everything crumble around us. 
Mm -hmm. Well, I think you I think you pose a solid question there, and that, that actually creates a, a solid transition into the topic for today, which is you know the relationship that agriculture plays in this movie, or the role that agriculture plays in this movie rather. And I th I think that you know transitioning from that point that you made about you know would the introduction of hardship all of a sudden bring society back to its senses? I think that it would. You know, I mean. Let's let's look at, you know, going back to the beginning of the movie, we see that that Wally is, you know, is the only one left on this planet and that the entirety of Earth is just destroyed by pollution and, you know, stores and urbanization, and all this kind of stuff. And there's only one plant left, which how it grew is still a miracle. Um, yep. But one of the things that I have been kind of theorizing about is that even if this wasn't intentionally programmed into the movie, which I'm I'm sure, you know, as anyone who, who analyzes stories would know. Oftentimes when you write a story, you write one thing, but the story tells another, you know, that's, that's kind of the subtext of, of most storytelling is there's always, there's always a deeper message that can be interpreted. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that one of the ones with Wally -E is that, you know, it wasn't necessarily the, the pollution and the destruction of the environment that drove everybody away from earth. I think that's part of it, but all of a sudden we were replacing, you know, the farms with the stores, which is ironic to me because you're destroying the means of production to get the, you know, the the vehicle for for that for that product. Yeah. Um I think as we saw the destruction of agriculture on earth, which we actually get a little bit of a glimpse of whenever the president's giving that uh, that speech about how they need to be leaving Earth, he literally said that, you know, we, we can't live on Earth anymore because we can't breathe. We assumed it meant pollution, but maybe it was oxygen. You know, maybe we destroyed it's all possible. the plant life, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing is there, there is no plant life. There's no trees. There's no grass, right? When you see the planet from orbit, it's mm -hmm. brown, you know? It's like a desert. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's used to seeing like lush greens and stuff. That's, uh, you know, that's horrifying. And there's like these giant dust storms that blow through. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, what's oh the 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 sun is like is obscured by some sort of haze. I don't know if it's smog or if it's dust or what, but it's not clear, right? Um, it's very like it's just kind of hazy. Uh, it, even like on the bright days when it's not thunderstorming, right? It's uh, it's still um, kind of hard to see. And you know, part of that is the colorization of the movie to kind of like show how bland everything is. But I think there's a lot you can take away from that. Um, showing that this this is like this is a completely inhospitable place, and it's a good point about the the atmosphere as well. Um, clearly, there's still an atmosphere because the the ship that Eve arrives on uh, is like pushing you know air around or dust around and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it must dust must be moving through something. But Wally can survive in space, right? It could be that there is no breathable air on Earth, right? And that's you know I think that, I think that that's a, a a pretty safe guess because like you said you know there's absolutely no plant life on the planet I mean you know none like we've seen you know the dust storms that that are occurring on on Earth now are very common in deserted areas you know they happen on Mars they happen they even happen you know in deserted parts of, of Earth you know there there are deserts where dust storms are very common that tends to only happen whenever there's no plant life you know. It, it, it seems to me that what really happened wasn't that we polluted the earth and into destruction It's that we got rid of every every source of of an oxygen producing plant, you know, because I, I think that, you know, we, we've seen a lot of evidence from modern you know agricultural technology that plants can do quite a bit to reduce the, the impact of pollution. They can absorb carbon emissions from the air. They can absorb nitrogen and, and put it back into the soil. They can rejuvenate a lot of the earth on their own. Once we start destroying plants, that's when pollution starts to get really, really bad because there's nothing to prevent preventing it from just going full force all over the planet now. So yeah. I, th I think you know this is this is kind of my theory, and you can tell me what you think now. But 
I think that what actually happened on on you know in Wally is that we got so obsessed with technology, we got so obsessed with with producing the best urbanization we can, the best civilization. Maybe we were trying to produce the paradise that the Axiom ended up being, you know, on Earth. And it didn't go quite as planned. We destroyed all this farmland to try to get all these stores, all these buildings in place. And we didn't realize just how little we had left. And it wasn't enough to keep the population alive. I mean, we even see the Axiom has a much smaller population than Earth ever had. And yeah. I it's think it's unclear how many people died. You know, they're in one of the promotions, they show multiple of these Axioms taking off. But they also say that the Axiom is the flagship, implying that it's probably the biggest one, mm -hmm. you know. So it's possible that, and it's not, not exactly clear how many people are on the ship, but at one point, everyone in the ship is in one place and you can see all of them. You know, it's not, it's not millions of people, you know, it's thousands. And um, uh, if, there's, you know, if there's many of these ships, I don't know, maybe there's a thousand of these ships, right? Mm -hmm. What we're talking about, like a hundred thousand people, maybe a million people left. Mm -hmm. Like that's crazy. You know, that's like almost uh, endangered levels, you know, right. uh, like human beings are, have gotten to the point where we're all nearly extinct. Right. Well, yeah. And, and not to mention, you know, when, when they return to Earth, as far as we know, they're the only axiom that comes back. We don't know if all the other ones come back or not. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's very possible that the new population of Earth is incredibly small and, you know, and would need to, to completely start from scratch. I mean, we see them actually start from scratch and they somehow bring agriculture back to the planet. So it wouldn't be, I, th I don't think it would be out of, out of the question if we ran out of a source of food, so we scrounged up all the food we could find, threw it on the ships, and then got as many people off as we could before the rest of the planet started to die off. And then that's where Wally starts. Well, it's interesting because they've been on this ship for, they say, 700 years, mm -hmm. and they're still making trash. There's that whole scene where um, uh, Wally and Eve like, go into like the uh, the pits, of, like I guess the hull of the the Axiom, and mm -hmm. they meet those giant robots, the giant Wallys. The, right. Because they're Wall A's, I think they're called, because <laughs> they're Axiom uh, adjacent. And they're making giant cubes of trash and spitting it out into space, mm -hmm. you know? Um, where is that coming from? You know, there's only a finite amount of stuff on the ship, but mm -hmm. they still like they still have those cups. They still have what like trash and uh, and whatever else. So that's got to be coming from somewhere. I, I I can only imagine where they're clearly not recycling. But what's interesting, I think, what that serves narratively in the in the movie, is that we haven't learned our lesson at all. You know, mm -hmm. we used up Earth uh, and, and discarded like a piece of trash. And then we went to space and we're like, well, there's a lot more space for us to make a mess out here. So, you know, we can just keep doing this forever. And by going to space, all we've done is delayed our, our problem instead of actually trying to fix it. Um, and clearly we have we've learned nothing. Yes, no, absolutely. I think that that's I think that that's the essential message of Wally, which I mean, the original story without the agricultural, you know, piece of it still holds up. You know, it, the entire story is about us being negligent of of how we care for our environment, uh, whether that be the environment out in space or the environment on Earth or some other planet that we're inhabiting. At the end of the day, if we're not paying attention and, and you know, taking taking care of our environment, it's going to kill us faster than than, you know, than we'll ever begin to realize yeah, and I, th I um sorry. Oh, go sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. I um I read this book a long time ago. It's called The World Without Us by Alan Weissman. Have you heard of it? I I think I have heard of it, but I've never read it. Now, it's really boring. <laughs> That's what I remember <laughs> from reading it. Um, I I didn't have time to reread it, but I remember a bunch of the stuff distinctly about this book. Um, despite it being so boring, it's a nonfiction book, but it's speculative. Mm. Um, and the book basically details 
kind of the events of, of Wally in a way. It says, what would, what would happen to the Earth if humans just disappeared, if we just left all of a sudden? Everyone just left. And um, it kind of details all the different stuff that would happen to our infrastructure, what would happen to the environment. One of the things that was one of the kind of common themes about the book is that the Earth would be totally fine without us. Like it would just rebound so quickly. One of the things that they that stood out to me was in the first 30 minutes of people like not being around, the New York uh, subway system would flood. Like those pumps need constant maintenance, apparently, huh. um, and that would happen almost immediately. One of the other things that I was always going to ask you about, what your opinion was, is I remember there was this one quote uh, where you said, um, "If you want to destroy a barn, cut a five by five hole in the roof." Um, <laughs> like the implication being that the once the elements could get inside and outside of the barn, it would just start disintegrating. Essentially, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Oh, it's absolutely true. I mean, that's one of the biggest concerns of being a farmer is that you have to find a way to survive against the weather. You know, you're, you're in a constant battle of trying to work with nature and also against nature to try to produce a, an efficient product. And your worst enemy and also your best friend is, you know, the weather, you know, a, a one quick storm could wipe out your entire crop or, you know, like you said, a barn, if there, if there's a hole in a barn and enough rain gets through, you lost all of your feed for your animals. You know, that's right. just, and that's a common thing in agriculture. You know, you're having, you're having to constantly adapt to that sort of thing. So, you know, that's, that's an absolutely perfect metaphor. What's interesting about Wally, though, is that this clearly doesn't happen, right? right. Like, within a, within a couple of, like, in the book, they detail, like, uh, in a couple hundred years, like, a lot of our infrastructure would start to crumble. Um, you know, like, skyscrapers would would not survive very long. Mm. Uh, in, like, in about 10,000 years, I think, I can't remember the exact number. I wish I could. The only thing, the only, like, clear evidence of human activity would be, like, the Hoover Dam. Mm. And it would probably be covered in water. Um, and, like, otherwise, like, our... All the stuff that we've built over the last, you know, whatever, 20,000 years would basically have eroded away. Um, but in Wally, like, it's been 700 years and they're still building standing and there's just still trash around, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it, like you said, like, it's because it's probably because there wasn't anything natural fighting against that, you know? There wasn't anything in place that would... Um, would start counteracting the effects that we had created on the earth and by like, rooting out every plant um except for one like we uh <laughs> we've basically destroyed the earth's hope of coming back which kind of goes back to um like the theme of the movie and something that the captain says is is he talks about how he has to go back right mm-hmm. like the earth needs us in this situation which is kind of the opposite of what you normally here right like right. like normally it's like actually there's there may be too many of us and maybe <laughs> like like we need to be more careful and conscientious about how we're interacting with our environments but in wally the message is we need to be active stewards you know it's mm-hmm. not so much just pa- like passively being and like making sure our carbon footprint is negative or neutral or whatever it's actively working to help foster the environment that we need mm. yes absolutely and i i think that you make a solid point there about you know the fact that the captain makes us uh, makes a a you know a claim that earth is is actually requiring human life for once you know instead of the other way around it, it kind of shows that you know we we must have at some point just destroyed every bit of 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 natural land left which is funny because there's this this common idea that's actually you know there's fears about that happening within the next probably 100 years you know yeah because of a, a common misconception is happening today where people keep building urban development and they say, Oh, well there's farms in other parts of the world. So we'll be fine. Well, if that keeps happening everywhere in the world and everyone keeps assuming there's a farm yeah, somewhere else, the comments, right. Example. 
<laughs> exactly. You know, it's it just doesn't, it's not going to work that way. You know, we have to be having better communication about, okay, well, we have a certain amount of farmland left. Like just for example, you know, we, we live in the United States. A less than 2% of the American population is actively involved in growing food. Yeah. That's... And, and the United States is one of the top agricultural producing countries in the world, you know? I mean, it's insane. I mean, right. it's insane. Like, it's, it's insane for so many reasons. But it's insane that, like, we are so efficient at it. And right. yet, like, like how much, I mean, I don't know. How much, like, farmland is there in the U.S.? Like, what percentage of our land is, is dedicated to farms? Uh, it idea? is. Let me pull up the number real quick just so I get it right. But I, I believe it, it's not much. I mean, it's, like, maybe 20% or something like that or less. Um, let, let me check real quick because I don't, I don't want to get the number wrong. Uh, bunch of America's farmland. Forty percent. Oh, that's actually more than I thought. Hmm. About forty percent of the United States is is uh, farmland. Nine hundred. That's crazy. That's yeah, a lot. It is. Yeah, but like you know, and like for two percent of our population to be uh, maintaining all of that. I mean, that's that's crazy, right? That's a lot. To that's a lot of responsibility. Right. Um. And like, yeah, it's it, it's so it's so it's such an important thing, and it's one of those things that like works well, maybe you, you would disagree with this but it probably it works so well that i never have to think about it you know i right. just go to the grocery store and i pick up tomatoes and then i'm like ah, oh, you know oh, where do these come from i don't care i'm gonna <laughs> eat these later you know but like the thing is that there are people out there who have dedicated their lives and like their their children's lives and generations of people that are maintaining that that infrastructure um and without the proper you know protections for that it, the the effects could be exponentially you know poor right it, yeah. everything could collapse from that because that's where everything comes from i have to eat three times a day you know uh <laughs> that all comes from somewhere right no absolutely and I, I think you know you you hit the nail right on the head you know you said that you know you you have to buy your food from a grocery store and then you don't think about it anymore i think that that's common for i would say probably a, a hefty majority of, of people at least in the united states and probably most other developed countries um, you know, they don't have to rely on knowing where their food comes from at all times because it's always going to be there. Yeah. Which I, you know, I, I, I can acknowledge that that's happening and still disagree with, with, the, with the logic behind it. Um, you know, I think that, you know, people don't need to know where their food comes from all the time. But I think that people knowing where their food comes from would definitely benefit a lot of things. So let me kind of specify what I mean by that. So in the United States, you know, one of the one of the largest obstacles for new farmers, people who are, you know, they're not like second or third generation farmers, they're completely starting from scratch is well, obviously, for one cost, but for two, it's mostly regulation, you know, it's it's really hard to start a farm if you didn't already have one, you know, a lot of people get regulated into the ground, because they get a lot of things that, you know, they didn't realize going into it, that, that hit them a lot harder than, than they were anticipating. A lot of those regulations get passed by by you know common voters, which is fine. I think that's how it should be. But when people don't know what's going into those operations and they vote on things that are going to make it a lot harder for those farmers, they don't realize what they're actually doing. You know? Like, yeah. No, that's that's definitely true. I think that's such a that's such a systemic problem. You know, mm -hmm. with almost everything. Yes. And one of the things that's so frustrating is just how prevalent misinformation can be and how easily it can be consumed and mistaken for actual information mm -hmm. um, and can cause people to have 
to go in the opposite direction. They say, I want to help farmers, so I'm going to do this thing, which is actually going to hurt farmers. But because of my <laughs> inability to understand what what's going on, or just maybe just my apathy, right? Mm-hmm. I I am not doing. I'm doing the opposite of what I'm trying to do. Um, and yeah, I, I think that. I think in general, like I don't know what the most like uh, I don't know unappreciated job is. I think everyone who has a job uh, thinks they're the most unappreciated. But <laughs> for sure, like the amount of like thought that goes into farming versus how important farming is, like that ratio is probably the most extreme for farmers. I, I would have to agree with you, and that, that's not just because I'm biased towards farmers. But <laughs> it sounds like you're biased. <laughs> No, but I, I mean, I I started this podcast for that exact reason. I wanted to know, you know, who actually had a solid understanding of how agriculture worked and who didn't, and and help kind of bridge that gap. You know, um, over the over over the past, uh, I'd say probably a couple decades or so, um, there's been uh, probably about a decade. There's been an attempt to bring agriculture back to social media and kind of get the conversations going again, but it hasn't been extremely successful until the past couple of years. For the past probably century, there's been a massive divide between agriculture and and the rest of society, which is actually what I'm highlighting, you know, in this mini series. Um, that is is often getting, you know, it's getting worse by the day, but it's starting to get better. You know, we are starting to see a, a positive change in that in that conversation. But I think that it's important because you know we we talk about how agriculture is is everywhere. You know, it, it surrounds us. Everything that you consume, everything that you use, everything that you see on a daily basis, most of it comes from agriculture. I mean, the wood in your desk, the food that you eat, even the plastics that are in your computer, that all comes from from animals and from and from crops. There's a lot of of things that get kind of left out of the equation when it comes to talking about you know agriculture. But I think more than anything people have this idea that you know it's always going to be here so we don't need to worry about it which is understandable you know but if we look at wally you know kind of going going back to the going back to the the conversation at hand here we see that that doesn't turn out very well for them and it probably yeah. wouldn't turn out, turn out for us very well either well here let me play a, a clip from the movie okay. uh that kind of sort of illustrates what we we're just talking about mm-hmm. oh earth is amazing these are called farms Humans will put seeds in the ground, pour water on them, and they grow food like pizza. So, like, this is uh, in the midst of the captain's um, Wikipedia binge, for lack of a better term, <laughs> uh, where he's he's learning all about Earth for the first time, and of course he becomes fascinated with farming, which kind of uh, motivates him to get back to Earth as well. But I think his description of farming is so perfect because. Like, uh, like a lot of people probably wouldn't say this is wrong. You know, I think a lot of people listening to this would be like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, that is how farming works. You know, you put plants <laughs> in the ground. Like, I know, I know pizza doesn't come from the ground. Don't be silly. But, like, it just puts seeds in the ground and it grows. Like, that's all it is. When, like, it, it, it can't be that simple because, <laughs> like, otherwise it would, it would just happen all the time. That's the thing is, like, there is this mis- miscommunication or just lack of understanding of of the challenges that face i think farmers in general um and i i'm i can speak from my own experience because i literally have no idea like how that all works um and really i think if you wanted to be cruel to me i think you could say that i agree (laughs) with how the captain talks here like that really is it really is as simple that as as that to me um until a lot of other people so i think it's um it's just interesting that we uh it works so well, right? But it, but it's it's still in danger, 
Right. No, absolutely. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad that that's the clip that you chose to pull up because that's the clip that I wanted to, I wanted to play. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so it works out. I mean, that entire Wikipedia binge, as, as you, <laughs> to quote you, um, that, that perfectly describes the, the point, you know, that, that I'm, I'm making here, which is, you know, there's this massive misconception around how agriculture actually works. And it's just, it's so, you know, it's funny to me that, that people have that idea of, you know, oh yeah, you should put a seed in the ground and put water on it and it grows. As far as they know, you know, that that's all that needs to work as, yeah. as long as they understand that, you know, the food actually comes from farms. That's the important part for me. I mean, there are people who don't even know that they think it just shows up in the grocery store. Um, I've actually yeah. I, I've talked to people before. They have said, like, well, why is agriculture so important to protect? I mean, we're, we have food in the grocery stores. It doesn't matter that much. And I'm just like, do you where guys know from? where it comes from? <laughs> Where do you think it comes from? Right. That's amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah, but like I think that's so interesting. And I, now I see how you're tying this back to to your overall point, which is like it's that lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. It's that lack of appreciation of the amount of space and the amount of effort that goes into agriculture that probably led to um, the downfall of Earth on uh, in Wally. Um, you know, again, like we saw no green spaces when you, as you said, you need at least 40% of that space to be, to be green spaces in order to sustain as many people as we're sustaining today. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, it's very interesting to to see that. And I can, I can definitely see the path very clearly from like the lack of appreciation for agriculture leading to the decline of everything. I mean, have you seen, um, Idiocracy? I haven't, but I, do, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and so in, in that movie, which you know, it's not that great. People say it's really, really <laughs> prescient. It's not. Um, but one of the things that, that they talk about is uh, one of the main jokes is that they keep pouring Gatorade on the plants because they think that that – because there's an ad campaign that pouring Gatorade on the plants makes them grow. It's, it's what plants crave. So mm. they um, – they keep killing all of their food, uh, and they don't know why. And of course, the, you know the only guy uh, that knows anything says, "Why don't you use water instead?" Because he he understands just as much as the captain does in this uh, in this movie, which is you put water on it, not uh, Gatorade. So <laughs> it's um, it, it's it's just interesting because like again, like their their whole society was collapsing because they didn't have any food, um, and it was only a matter of time before it ended up into like a giant trash heap, um, and there was there's nothing left to. Uh, uh, to even save. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, as you mentioned, the communication, the misconception, that whole part of it is, I think, the biggest problem facing, you know, the relationship between agriculture and, and urban development. And I think that, you know, I, I'm definitely not in the boat of people who don't know where the food comes from are, are stupid by any means. You know, I think that it's not a common thing that we talk about anymore. It's left out of a lot of common conversations. It's not part of our school systems. It's not something that is actively around us. So, you know, why... Why would we not, you know, why would we seek out knowledge on something that is not readily in front of us? You know, I, it, you can use the Wally example as, as, you know, as proof of this, you know, all the humans on, on the axiom, they pay attention to what's directly in front of them and that's it. You know, they have no reason to think outside of the box because everyone's thinking outside of the box for them, supposedly, until sure. you realize that the entire population is, is doing that. It's not, it's not so much that we have somebody else doing the work for us now, it's now we're all here and we're hoping that somebody's doing the work and really they're not. Um, it's, it's something that I kind of, this is changing gears a little bit, but something else I kind of wanted to explore with with that idea is I think that the reason that agriculture is so important and the reason that agriculture is what saves the earth at, you know, at the end of Wally is because 
in, at least in, you know in my opinion and this is something I've, I've been kind of playing with for a while agriculture serves as the bridge between society and nature it's it's mm. kind of as i mentioned earlier you know farmers are working with nature to try to produce food for society you know the, the first ever civilization was founded because we figured out how to create farms you know the idea that agriculture and society are are you know, separable is, is just, I don't think it's, it's possible. You know, we have to have that relationship with nature or else we kill nature or nature kills us or both. You know, we I see think, that. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's really interesting you say that because I think there's this trend toward like this disgust with anything natural. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like, it's really funny to me because I feel like I see people wearing like they'll wear a dress or like a shirt or something and it has flowers on it, right? But they would never get that close to a real flower. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. they would, if they got that close to it and saw like you know, wherever the, the, like the different pieces of it, uh, the, the petals and everything, I feel like they would get grossed out, you know, because it's, it's not something, it's not clean, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, uh, it doesn't have those rigid edges. Um, it, it, it's something that is unlike anything else because like humans, love creating their own environment and love like you know right right angles and, and stuff like that which doesn't <laughs> exist in, in in nature so um the more time you spend in this like artificial world right the more time you spend in the constructed world the, and the less time you spend in actual nature the more disconnected you come from it and the less uh, appreciation you have for it um and then you end up like you end up with this kind of conditioned response of oh like you know, nature is good, but I don't like nature. I don't want to be outside. You know, I don't want to be around like, um, uh, the, like trees. I don't want to be like around bugs or anything. Like that, all that stuff is gross. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason why you can think that is because you have the option to stay inside. Right. Oh, absolutely. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you look at, you, you made a solid point about people not wanting to get dirty or get close to real nature. If you look at nature, obviously, like you said, it's dirty. You know, animals are are, for lack of a better word, you know, not savage necessarily, but they're they're wild. You know, they're yeah. they're not civilized like humans are, or you know, even early humans weren't as civilized as humans today are. And then you look at people involved in agriculture. You know, they're down to get dirty, but they don't want to be like they're not naked like animals. They're not climbing the trees and running, you know, all over the place. You know, they're slightly more civilized, but they have that relationship with nature where they can work with it and they can get dirty, and that's okay. And then you have civilization where there's almost no connection to nature anymore. They just take the food from nature, and that's all they that's all they want to have to do with it. Or like you said, they use plants for decoration, and that's about it. You know seeing that kind of you know that transition between those three further kind of cements my belief that you know agriculture serves as that bridge it serves as a connection that humans have to have with nature without allowing you know civilization to just fall into the you know the wild and because you know obviously like you said they don't want to be there you know they, they want to have that connection without having that that physical connection yeah uh, that's a really interesting point and like, it's what what you're implying there is that like we have to have that nature like it's not just that um, it's not just like trying to connect ourselves back to some roots or something. Right. It's mm -hmm. it's uh, literally that without nature, we would die. Mm -hmm. um, and we need we need somebody who is willing to try to tame that and make it, you know, and bring it into civilization um, or else like that's it for us. Right. I mean, even look at the Axiom. They, they they still had their windows that replicated nature. They had the sun and the sky and the clouds and all this kind of stuff. 
you know, why would they replicate that? You know, they don't, they have no need for nature anymore. They're in space now. Yet as a society, we have naturally developed this, this dependence on nature, both literally and, and just as a comfort, you know, because that's, that's what we consider to be good. You know, we consider things that are, are non-mechanical, you know, that are warm and loving and, and, you know, and natural to be good things, even if we don't necessarily want to deal with them ourselves. It's interesting, like, because you start thinking about like evolution, you know, because I think we have been like over the course of, you know, the last 10,000 years mm. have been conditioned to think of certain things in nature as beautiful, you know, mm. like vast forests or mountains or the ocean or something. You know, it's something almost inherently built into us that we want to be close to those things or we want to see those things. And when we see those things, we get that kind of dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. But what, what you start to wonder is like, is that something that's like a re like, is that something that's left over from our growing up in that kind of environment? Or is that a conditioned response based on our, like natural, our own upbringing, not mm -hmm. necessarily from our ancestors, but from our, uh, you know, our upbringing in the last, whatever 20 years or 30 years right mm -hmm. um and if that's if it's the case is the second one then could you just break that you know could you put you could you put people in space and say this is beautiful and trees are gross you know <laughs> and you just you put that um you put that like distinction in there and you condition that response uh, to people and suddenly like that disconnection is even more uh apparent you know um that's i'm curious about yeah i wonder what you think about that like do you think that our like not necessarily reliance but our appreciation of nature is something that is like recently conditioned like conditioned uh, every generation or if it's something that is inherently built into like our dna you know that's that's a really good question and that's that's really hard to to answer because Part of me wants to say, like, sure, you know, we everything you see in, in you know, in the news today or in, in social media is like, yeah, trees are, are beautiful and let's protect the environment and all that kind of stuff. So, like, we're naturally conditioned to think that the environment's a good thing, you know, yeah. that that nature is is good and all that sort of thing. But I, I think that it's not so much. I think that part of it is conditioned. I think that that part of it, the whole like, let's, you know, let's save the environment thing. I think that's conditioned. But I also think that as a species, you know, we are we are native to Earth. You know, we we originated from you know from Earth. You know, we what you know whatever your belief system is. At, at some point, we were not civilized beings. We've always lived in nature at some you know at some point in our lives. And I think that as natural beings of Earth, we have a a draw to it. You know, I think that as we begin to try to isolate ourselves from nature it calls us back to it, you know, hmm. um, that that's at least my theory is, you know, as we develop as a society, there has to be a certain element of it that is that is connected to nature, or else it's not a stable society. And yeah, but the problem is that you can replicate nature, you know, right? Like, like, what is natural? Exactly, right? Is a tree that's outside of my house, like in my apartment complex? Is that uh, is that natural? You know, it wasn't there when this place was built. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even there before it was built. You know, they didn't build the apartment complex around it. They mm -hmm. paved this, the, the area, they built the houses, and then they planted the trees. Is a mm -hmm. tree inside of a mall natural? And, like, I would, I would say no, definitely not. You know, mm -hmm. it was put there. But it kind of gets that. You know, I, I generally agree with you that there's something that calls us to nature. But I think that... Um, 
you can find examples of how nature has been sort of not necessarily corrupted, but co-opted, you know, mm -hmm. and say, okay, well, we'll just plant a bunch of trees here, you know, whether or not they're supposed to be here or not is, is not important. And that will, you know, make you feel like you're in a natural environment, but in fact, you're just still in the, that urban sprawl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a solid point. I actually hadn't hadn't considered that. Because I mean, if you think about it, like I have a strong connection to, to animals. Like as much as I, I like trees and forests and all that kind of thing, like animals are kind of my draw to nature. I, I love working with cattle and horses and dogs and all that sort of thing. You know, it's just kind of always been my thing. But even like the animals that we have now are not natural. You know, I'm no. pretty sure pugs would not have naturally, you know, manifested. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> There's nothing evolutionary, like uh, uh, beneficial to be a bug. No. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, like, it's one of those things that's like, you know, do we still consider the animals that we that we love today as as natural because we've we've crossbred them to be what we want them to be, you know, yeah. and so it's like there's this, maybe it's not so much that we're drawn to nature because nature is is sporadic. It's constantly changing. And, and as humans, we don't like change very much. We like to we have to we like to be able to control things. Maybe it's more so we have a connection to organic life. You know, we, we like mm -hmm. things that are alive that we can interact with. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's definitely true. And like that, that's the thing is like, what exactly is natural? You know, mm -hmm. I, there's this appeal to nature. That's a common, you know, fallacy, uh, where you say, if it's natural, it must be good, which is, can't be true because lots of things that are natural are terrible. You know, I think right. vi viruses are a great example <laughs> of that. Um, the, uh, but again, like, where does that draw the line? Cause we, we were eventually, we were at some point natural, right? Mm -hmm. I think you may say that anything a human does is non-natural. Yeah. Um, but like, we are still very much part of this earth and very much part of the ecosystem, even if we pretend we're not, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have to, I think that, I think clarifying that too, you know, it's organic life and, uh, and being around um, things that are growing and things that are alive, whether those are plants or animals or other people, um, is extremely necessary. And I think, I think you could convince me easily that that is something that's built into our DNA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And I have, I have one more thing that kind of brings us back full circle to, to the beginning of our conversation that, again, relates, relates to the movie that I'm curious about your thoughts on. Okay. So... In the beginning of the conversation, we mentioned how Wally might be kind of symbolically the embodiment of, of um, culture, right? Mm -hmm. So I have been kind of working on on this idea for a little while that um, society itself can't survive without agriculture. Obviously, we you know we talked about that. It needs food. It needs a connection to nature. All that kind of thing. But I think that society itself, you know, the the connection to agriculture and society is is also one that connects to culture itself. The society can't survive without culture, because um, as we saw in in you know the axiom, they have no culture. They're just kind of you know morphless blobs there. Yeah. Um, and they you know they don't have art or music or any of that kind of you know thing to appreciate. It's kind of just everything's bland and the same. Um, Wally is kind of the only distinction we see of culture. And actually, you know, during the captain's little Wikipedia search thing that, that we were talking about earlier, he actually asks about different parts of culture, music and dancing and food and all this different types of stuff. You know, we see him associating like he, he I think he jumps straight from agriculture to, you know, I can't remember if it was dancing or if it was food or, you know, he we see a jump from agriculture to different types of cultures. 
and we see that actually happening in in the real you know in the real world as well you know different cultures were manifested based off of what crops they could grow you know a lot of the crops grown in, in south america developed a lot of different cultures than what's grown in you know india or in europe or in you know the united states we develop cultures based off of what our resources are and and how we design our civilization and i think that like i mentioned earlier Society has to have agriculture as, as kind of a basis just because there is that need for food. But I think that in Wally, we see Wally kind of the embodiment of cultures here delivering agriculture, delivering nature back to what we consider society, but really the reinvention of society. It, it's almost like I think that there's, 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 you know, going, putting on my English teacher hat here, there's <laughs> some symbolism to be kind of picked apart there about you know culture being the vehicle of of society and agriculture or, or something along those lines i'm not sure what, what your thoughts are on that i think uh the culture is the engine of change for sure mm. you know um your uh, it's funny I, I don't know if you realized but agriculture and culture right. <laughs> you're, you're conflating the two um yes. yeah i think agriculture like serves that base need right but i think culture is what eventually drives that thing forward you know mm. it's kind of what makes life worth living is being able to experience art and being able to talk to people about what's going on and, and creating stories uh, based on your own experiences and then using that information to create a better world for other people you know mm. whether that is through evolution of thought or if that's evolution of technology or whatever um you know i think it's it's so it's so devastating to me to see how the humans end up in this story because right now culture is accelerating. You know, mm -hmm. everything is happening so quickly. There's the conversations are happening more fluidly and more easily than ever before, you know, and, and uh, we're going to see the effects of that technologically very soon, I think, because we're going to see, okay, these people need this or this, uh, this thing needs to happen. You know, the barriers to, uh, solving our biggest problems are just out of our reach and i think um like we have to catch up to that technology but we also are driving that forward with our culture so you know it, it's so it's so interesting that nothing has changed for the last 700 years on the axiom right and it's because there's nothing to talk about nothing to do nothing to experience you know it's it's all right there in front of you um and it almost makes me think they've killed all the comedians or something before they went <laughs> on to uh, the action, you know, because that's what you need is you need someone that's going to shake up the the world and say, hey, this is dumb or like, hey, this is funny or something. Mm -hmm. And it gets people thinking about um, how they can make their lives better or how they can be different, you know, and that's something that, um, that helps drive things forward. And it would be so i mean that would be the thing like that would be the end of us like we would be basically dead if we ended up like we did in the axiom or the humans did in the axiom right because mm. we would have we wouldn't be creating anything new we would just be stagnant mm. yeah no I, I i completely agree i mean that's i i really like what you said there culture is the engine for change i think that that's a really that's a really good way of, of kind of putting it you know thank you i just came up with it <laughs> no i i that's like i was thinking about that. i was like huh that's actually kind of perfect because i mean if you think about it you know if we if we kind of run with this this theory we were having about wally being the symbol of culture he is the thing that causes change right like he, he's the thing that kind of jumpstarts society back into motion he brings them all down to earth he kind of reinvents human civilization um and we think, you know, we kind of assume that he could 
potentially bringing back what was remaining of culture that was already there because of all the things that he's collected and all the movies that he watches and all the music that he plays. I mean, he even teaches, like you said, the, they're like, you know, misfit robots, the songs that he that he likes to listen to. Yeah, like, and it's so motivating to them, right? It's not right. just that they're free. They're like, he's our leader now, you know? And right. they're singing his song. Yeah. And like the simple, uh, the simple changes that Wally introduces to the Axiom have like a huge amount of effects, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's this, there's a subtle thing. And this kind of goes back into like uh, the necessary need for other people or for organic life in general. There's this, this uh, motif of holding hands. That's uh, really relevant Mm. that I I never picked up on until I watched it yesterday. Uh, Wally, like one of the, Wally's kind of emotional arc is that he wants to hold hands with Eve. And so he's constantly thinking about how he's going to do that. Um, And and it's his, it's when they hold hands at the end that he gets his memories back and he becomes Wally again. But um, when John and Mary first meet, they touch hands accidentally. They're both resting on the same uh, armrest, um, mm. and that kind of starts their relationship. And they, you can see how they become close because of that. Um, it, it's it's interesting how they uh, that's tied together. And it, I think the implication is that it's that isolation that helps uh, keep people from advancing and keeping culture stagnant. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were interacting directly with each other, if you were touching each other, uh, you know, not in a weird way, uh, <laughs> that would be, um, that would have a universal and exponential effect on people. I, I completely agree. And actually, you know, to your point, one of the funnier parts of the movie towards the end is, you know, John and Mary actually hold hands again when she makes a line, you know, John, get yes. ready to have some kids and, you know, and they, and they catch all the kids before they fall off the ship. Like, you know, right. It, I think that's clear. You know, <laughs> when I was watching it this time, I was like, oh my gosh, how did I never see that before? Right. Like, it's obvious what they're trying to do here. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, you, you make a completely solid point. And actually, you know, when I was thinking about doing this episode, I was thinking about the whole Wally holding hands with Eve thing, you know, in the beginning and the, again in the end. But I didn't even think about the whole John and Mary relationship until you brought that up. That's actually a really solid point. Well, huh. thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> um, All right. Um, I actually have a couple questions for you. Okay. There's something that I've always wanted to ask like someone like you, an agriculture expert. Have you ever uh, read um, Yuval, Ho- uh, Yuval Ho- uh, Noah Harari's book, Sapiens? I have not. It's a it's a really interesting book. It's about like the sociological uh, evolution of humans and like how our society has changed and stuff. It's it's hmm. so interesting. It, it it brought so many things into focus. One of the things that he argues in the book, I'm always curious about people think about this, is he says that agri- like the invention of agriculture was a net like drain on our overall well-being like Hmm. our we were able to create more food for more people but it was a sort of trap where suddenly we had a bigger society to to take care of and we could never go back to like the hunter-gatherer societies before and the work that was required to actually farm was like devastating like it was so it was so much bigger than uh what we had before hmm interesting what do you think about that that's huh okay well i think that that's that's a that's an interesting take for sure i i can see where you know where he's coming from with with you know the whole we can't go back to hunting and gathering thing i would say that it depends on your value system um if you if you value that relationship with nature like we mentioned earlier then maybe that's true but if we look at this from from the perspective of you know 
kind of a domino effect. Agriculture influenced the creation of society. The, the creation of society influenced the creation of culture. The creation of culture influenced, you know, the the innovation of new technology. As that chain continues, you eventually get to we improved, um, we, we you know we improved the medical industry. We improved technologies that are focused on kind of like well being and you know just general like um like uh, uh value of life kind of things. I think that if we're looking at this from a survivalist perspective, we kind of made the best choice we could have. I mean, yes, you yeah. know, there, there's argument for, to be made from uh, an evolution standpoint. It, like it was, it was like a you know, it's a one way gate, right? Yes. Because if you can sustain a hundred people um, on hunting and gathering, right? You can and you can you can sustain a hundred and ten by agriculture. Mm-hmm. You know, who who's gonna die if you try right. to go back to at hunting and gathering, suddenly you have lost ten people in your in your little cult, your, your little society, and that's just not a price people were willing to pay. Um, and obviously, the better we got at agriculture, the bigger that number got, and then it became even more possible. I think he mm-hmm. even argues that if people, when people tried to go back, that was what the result was: that people died, and then they got overtaken by more successful uh, cultures, more successful mm-hmm. societies that had embraced um, agriculture. Uh, so once it started, it, it couldn't go back. Um, but he, like he kind of argues that this is like what starts our like our obsession with hard work in a way of mm-hmm. like we need to be constantly working and like work isn't necessarily a thing that we that we enjoy. It's something that we have to do in order for things to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that that there's a, there's definitely a solid point to be made there, and I think that it's it's true in both senses. Like yes, work has to be done for the for the continuance of of you know whatever project you're working on, or just the continuance of of survival of the human race. But there definitely are people who enjoy that work, or else they wouldn't do it. I mean, agriculture is one of the more difficult occupations to have in in you know in the modern society just because again it's extremely expensive you're constantly having to fight against the weather and and you know the regulations and a million and one other things trying to shut you down it's really hard to keep going because you know just to give you an example back in 2007 8 and 9 there was a, a great kind of recession in um you know i i, I me, correct me if i'm wrong but i believe, I believe it was in the entire united states at least in california it hit us hard um but in california we saw a like massive massive jump probably probably the largest jump ever in the a number of farmers committing suicide because they couldn't deal with the stress of not being able to feed their families or their friends or their community um that whole thing kind of made us realize like oh like we knew farming was hard before we didn't realize just how stressful it is like there's you know there are actually you know now there because of all of this there have been some you know kind of farmer mental health you know like groups started you know to try to help out a lot of the farmers who who develop that kind of stress but it's one of those things that they don't have to do that they can get another job they can go you know do whatever they need to do but they choose to because that's their life's work you know um there's an argument to be made about you know yes there's this necessity to work but also we like to do things that don't, you know, we like to take the easier route if possible, you know, like we, we try to, we try to not put ourselves in the most difficult position possible. I mean, that's the whole reason we invented agriculture. So we don't have to hunt anymore, but by choosing that route, you know, there's, there's the argument about, do we keep, you know, farming or do we let somebody else take care of it? If we let somebody else take care of it, then we don't have our own access to our own food anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's this, there's this whole, like, that's a, 
you know, hour long conversation in and of itself. But basically, you know, the point I'm trying to get at is I think that he's right. You know, to a degree, agriculture did cause a lot of issues, but that's like saying the invention of the car caused a lot of issues. Yeah. Like, yes, it did, but it also More did a lot of great died, things. People died in car accidents bef- after the car was invented than before. How <laughs> exactly. weird is that? <laughs> exactly. But I think as, as, a, as a whole, you know, agriculture was a net good for society, depending on what you consider a net good. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point because eventually we did get there and mm. we're seeing that benefit eat, like every day, right? Every time we have any sort of, uh, we can dedicate time not to hunting and gathering and, <laughs> and to creating like a better world for other people, we are seeing that benefit. So yes. uh, yeah, that, that's, a great, that's a great answer. I have one more question for you. I know we're almost out of time. No worries, um, go ahead. This is a more fun, it's kind of a fun one, but related to my last question. So at the end of the movie, right? They uh, they plant the uh, the boot in the ground, which has the plant in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, OK, we're, we're done. We're, we're off to the races. You know, the earth is coming back. So my question to you is, how would you restart agriculture and maybe even the world uh, from a single plant? I think they actually have like other stuff on the on the ship. I think they actually have like a whole recolonization uh, like sweet or something they have a whole bunch of stuff that they can use but what would be your what would be your first thing you would do if you were to restart agriculture on earth Ooh, that's a great question um you know i think that i mean obviously they have a solid approach you know you, you plant the one thing that you have that's alive um <laughs> <laughs> great answer. that's <laughs> that's kind of the first step is you know make sure that the thing that you have is alive keeps growing um but i think that it's so i mean Kind of, you know, if you are experienced in agriculture, and you kind of know what to look for. See if you can find the most fertile soil possible, because soil is a very, you know, variable thing. Um, not not all soil is good everywhere, obviously. You know, uh, actually, the soil in California is considered the most fertile soil in the world. So, I mean, if I can get back to California, I definitely would. Wow. Um, but I mean, like a lot of like the like earlier civilizations, like Mesopotamia, once had the most fertile soil in the world. I think China has some of the most fertile. You know, so if you could find a spot with really fertile soil with a I mean, climates aren't going to exist, obviously, because like there's no plants to really regulate the atmosphere. But if you could find somewhere that's the least terrible, if that if that makes sense, <laughs> yes, um, that <laughs> no, would that be kind of yeah, I mean, that'd be kind of I mean, the like, first step. There'd still be heat, like pretty uh, even heating of the Earth, right? Like the yes. equator would still be pretty hot, mm-hmm. so you would want to be in that kind of middle latitudes, right? Um, and yeah, you want to find something that's like like yeah, you know, like the river delta or whatever right like something that has a lot of like the nile right mm-hmm. uh that's why like egypt sprung up and why the mesopotamia is called the um birthplace of a civilization right it's because that that soil was just so much uh, riper um mm. so yeah find, so seeking out something like that would probably would be a big part of it yeah yeah that'd be sense. my that'd be my start you know find a good place you know get, get your plant planted and then kind of keep an eye on it obviously water it you know a whole bunch keep you know make sure that it's is getting sufficient sunlight and it's protected from the weather so like if you could get wally to like set up some 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 of those blocks around it to create like like uh, wind barriers <laughs> yeah. that'd be perfect yeah that's a great idea <laughs> <laughs> and a then igloo or something exactly so the question that i have though is they have no livestock like there's yeah. no cows no sheep no so like they're gonna be extremely kind of scarce on a lot of their resources so because like livestock are, are an essential part of a lot of forms of agriculture i mean we use them as draft animals for a long time for a reason you know we use them to make clothes we use them to make milk and you know which milk makes a ton of things like there's so many resources that we use livestock for not to mention the way that livestock graze is a lot of the reason why pastures today still exist or why a lot of deserts mm. were turned back into back into uh, wildlife because you know they were able to kind of bring back a lot of that pasture with the 
animals grazing and kind of stomping on on the dirt and kind of you know tilling it up and that sort of thing you know so i'm, I'm curious with how you know without livestock how they go about doing it, it has to be i guess artificial grazing <laughs> yeah well some of that stuff would be handled by the robots they, they show in the credits like you know there's a bunch the credits are really interesting because they have like a bunch of different art styles and it's like advancing mm. uh the, with like how the earth is, is becoming more and more green they actually do show a part where there's a bird like a blue jay which oh. doesn't make any sense to me because huh. where did that come from? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, anyway, the um, uh, but they would, the robots could handle some of it, right? They could pull plows. Hmm. Um, they could till the soil, right? They could plant stuff. But you can't eat robots, so right. you know, and you can't milk a robot. So it, it, you could handle some of it, but but definitely not all of it. That's, yeah, there'd that's be a no great meat. Point. Huh. I don't. And like, if they had animals on the ship, then where are they? And like, what's happened to them? You know, are they like right. like, um you know, freeze dried or something like, <laughs> like stuck in like, like a cubes or something of yeah. amber so they could pull them out later. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the, uh, you don't see anything. You don't even see dogs or cats mm-hmm. or anything on the ship. So no, I yeah. mean, and like maybe they're on another axiom somewhere or maybe they like have like, you know, something designed for their livestock, but like, yeah, that makes no sense. I don't know how they go about doing that. Yeah. So well, it'll be tough. That would be, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, I did write down like I'm skeptical about how their ability to succeed in this environment. <laughs> like, oh, we planted the plant. Uh, I think we're good now. Yeah, they'd have an entire vegan diet. And they would get extremely skinny because they'd have to yes. do nothing but work. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I'm not gonna say it's impossible. But yeah, the the odds would be stacked against them for sure. Definitely, especially with the limited amount of people they have. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean. That would be kind of interesting, though, because like, you know, when we started agriculture way, way back when we had a lot of resources, you know, we had nature, we had animals, we had, you know, a ton of people to, to use with it. Not to mention, we had different groups of people all over the world. They have one group in one part of the world. Yeah. So I don't know how that would work. And not to mention, is there still water on Earth? We never see any. So I think there's I think there's I mean, they show the oceans, right? It's oh, not, that's right. That's so right. there is at least salt water. Um, the Great Lakes are on there, too. You can clearly see the Great Lakes. So okay. you can see you can get there. Well, those are salt water, too, aren't they? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So that's not helpful. <laughs> Maybe there's another lake where you can find. Unless um, the Axiom has some kind of purification system, but I'm not it, sure. It's possible. I mean, how else are they getting all the water? I, that's, that's the other true. thing is they could probably ha- like live on the Axiom and then like come out to uh you right. know, farm and stuff so the, there's no reason why the axiom couldn't keep sustaining them until they were able to restart stuff on the earth uh, but like you said like there are some hurdles that would be very hard to overcome which is like <laughs> first of all more plants and second of all like animals so right yeah so and depending what their plant is it might have a weird way of of you know of repopulating you know if, it, yes. if, it's, if it's a fruit tree then sure you get you get the fruit you get the seeds you replant them perfect if it's like you know a carrot then i don't know exactly how you're gonna re- you know replant that yeah or like a pansy or something you know right <laughs> one yeah, person yeah. gets uh gets to eat the petals and then that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like yeah if, if it's a flower or some kind of plant that they can't eat then yeah what are they supposed to do it's right. just poison ivy <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean like like a flowering plant wouldn't that need more than one plant to like pollinate and wouldn't they need like bees or something uh depending on what the flower was there are some that are self-pollinators they can just kind of shoot pollen out into their own systems yeah, and yeah. Re- reproduce that well, way but yeah. yeah if it's surviving on its own already then it must at least be something like that you know it must be able to sustain itself right so i and who knows you know it's been 700 years it could be some kind of weird you know mutated plant that's completely different than anything we've ever seen so maybe yeah. maybe it actually is a pizza tree maybe they figured it out <laughs> finally <laughs> <laughs> but 
Awesome. Well, I think that kind of covers all the questions I had. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to that. No, definitely not. I um, I had a great time talking to you. Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. Um, and you know, before we wrap out, the kind of the, the big, you know, I think the big takeaway I want from this episode to be is pay attention to the planet, please. You know, like <laughs> let's. I, I I don't think that we're gonna get to Wally, but let's not risk it. You know, let's just kind of pay a little more attention to our farmers and to what we're doing. I yeah, I second that. <laughs> awesome so before we wrap out uh, wrap up you want to go ahead and let everyone know once again uh, who you are and where they can find you yes um uh, my name is joey i co-host the affable chat movie podcast we make we, we do a podcast almost every week our, our latest episode is space jam a new legacy so if you want to hear mm-hmm. our thoughts on that you can listen to it and um we uh we are available everywhere on google play on itunes on spotify on soundcloud on audible um you name it we're, we're out there so just search for affable chat we're uh we're on every platform twitch youtube tiktok wow. uh, instagram everything so we're the only affable chat uh when you search for us so just uh, google affable chat and we'll we'll show up sweet and, uh, yeah thanks a lot for um, bringing me on this has been a lot of fun i really enjoyed our conversation uh, this movie has a lot of stuff to talk about and it's um <laughs> uh yeah it, it's fun to really dive deep into it yeah, no, I definitely agree. So thank you know, thanks again for taking the time. I definitely, like I said, this is one I've been wanting to do for a really long time. So I appreciate somebody finally <laughs> sitting down and doing it with me. Absolutely, anytime, man. Cool. So uh, thanks again, Joey, for for your time. I'll put all your links down in the description so people can go and find you and check you out. Um, yeah, thank you know, uh, thanks to all the listeners for tuning in and for you know sitting through this one. I I hope it was a lot of fun. I I had fun. I hope you know. I, I think that I think it was a pretty good time. Um, but yeah, so that I'll catch you guys all next week and don't forget if you wait today, thank a farmer. <laughs>